Acts chapter 5. We're returning to our series. It's been a while. I apologize for that, but we're considering what it means to be a church in action. We're at the place where Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost. They had sold some land, but they decided to keep back a part of the price of the land for themselves. It wasn't that they couldn't keep their profit. Amen. They could have sold it and kept it. There was no requirement for them to give this to their church. The problem was they lied to God about it. And as a result, they lost their lives. Verse 11 says, Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. I should say so. Amen. Imagine a married couple coming into our church and stopping at the collections box in the back and as they drop in their envelope, they kill over. That's a pretty scary church. Amen. People are dying over there at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. You can't even give without dying. And so great fear came upon everyone who is becoming aware of this. Remember how this affected this church in Jerusalem. Up to this point, they were, they were firing on all cylinders. Everything was going great. Thousands were being reached. And when this sin happened, things temporarily had come to a stop in order that the church might deal with this problem and this sin that had come up. And the application for us was how Satan will seek to destroy us from the inside. He had tried to destroy this church from the outside. He brought prosecution. He brought persecution from the outside when Peter and John were arrested, and that did nothing to slow them down. And so he begins to attack the inside of the church, and that's how Satan will work. If we cannot be stopped through external means, he will seek to disrupt what's happening in here so discord among the brethren and cause us to slow our progress or worse, it can get to the point where churches close their door all because of internal problems. We aren't seeing a lot from the outside here in America. Amen, especially not here in South Dakota. And to see our doors shut would have to be an internal problem that is left unchecked as the way things are now. So we got to be on guard. So Acts chapter 5 tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off. Let's go look at verses 12 through 16. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Amen. So God having dealt with Ananias and Sapphira, we now see this church getting back on course and doing what it is they're supposed to be doing. And this is how we ought to be as a church body. There may be times when we need to pause because there's issues that have to be dealt with. Things come up. But just as soon as that issue has been dealt with, we need to get right back 
to what God has called us to do. We don't want to be sidelined because of something somebody did. Amen. We want to deal with it, but then we want to move on. We don't want to get stuck. Listen, things have to be dealt with sometimes. It's just the way it is. And, and we deal with them according to God's Word, um, but then we have to get back at fulfilling God's calling. I, there's no need to get hung up on things that have happened in the past. Amen. We deal with it and move on. I, I'm, I'm not saying we need to grow calloused and, and not have a heart for people, but we need to keep our focus where it belongs. I'm still amazed at how people hang on to things that is allowing, it's stopping their growth, it's stunning their growth, it's allowing them to stay out of church, uh, things that happened years ago. And they just haven't moved past it, and now they're not here any longer. Am I the only one that's amazed by this? I, I, maybe it's because I see it more from this side, but it's like, uh, you got to be kidding me, you're still hanging on to that? Uh, I just spoke to a guy recently, and I said, hey, we'd love to see you back, man. What's going on? Oh, you know, back before you were pastor, this happened. I said, brother, that was over seven years ago. I had nothing to do with that. Seven years, and that's still your reason. I'll tell you what happens. You stay out long enough, now you're in the habit of not coming. It's hard to get that habit back to going. And you say, well, I might as well stay home and play pinball. Do they even have pinballs anymore? I don't know. Um, and so that, that's just hard for me to imagine that that's how it is, but, but that's how it can be. And so people hang on to these things, and, uh, and, and then they you know, throw things at you about how you're not friendly and all the rest. I'm probably getting ahead of my notes. Let me just focus here. Um, and so what we see in verses 12 through 16 is an answer to this church's prayer that they prayed in chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, or towards the end, verses 29 and 30, look at what it says. They're praying after Peter and John have been let go. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by thy name and thy holy child, Jesus. And so what did they pray for? They prayed for signs and wonders. And what do we see here in verse 12 of chapter 5, many signs and wonders were wrought. Uh, They asked to heal, and that's what we see in verses 15 and 16. And if we would gear our prayers towards God's glory, see, often our prayers are towards God, get me out of this. But if we would let our prayers be that we want God to be glorified, there's no telling what God may do in us, through us, and for us. And so in in Acts chapter 4, in verse 29, they called themselves the Lord's servants. They recognize God's word. They look for God's healing. They look for signs and wonders uh, through God's Christ. Did I have the right verse there? Yeah. And, and it's important that we recognize this because in verse 12 here, we read, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. But we understand from their prayer that this was God's hand being stretched out through them. Does that make sense? It wasn't that the apostles were super uh, supermen, but it was that God was working through them. And, and the charismatics of our day may be tempted to read a verse like Acts 5.12 and conclude that there's something special about the apostles. Now, they were special in that they followed our Lord, but so are we. They're not special in that they were the ones doing the miracles. It was God doing the miracles through them. And so people can look at this and they'll conclude, man, the apostles. And we got a group out there today, they still call themselves apostles. 
you know, like they have some kind of magical power. And, and so, but it, it was God working through them. Now, we still can't overlook the fact that God works through human beings. Amen. Um, he works His purposes through us. The important thing is to give God glory where glory is due. And it's due unto His name. It's owed. The, the apostles are not to be magnified, but God is. Zechariah 4, 6, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by my might, nor by, uh, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It is through the Spirit of God. It is through His power, not because we're something that's so great. The, the apostles were, were working many signs and wonders among the people. Why? Because they were spirit-filled. They were filled with the Spirit. And it's also important to know how the Bible is clear that the ones through whom God wrought His signs and miracles were the apostles. It makes that very clear that it was apostle. Listen, it doesn't say that they were wrought at the hands of the church. Stay with me now. But it was wrought through the hands of the apostles. These miracles, these sign gifts were through a very specific group of men for that period. And, and not all uh, who were added to the church had this ability that the apostles had. These signs were a transitional gift. That's what the book of Acts is. We're transitioning from the old covenant to the new covenant. And so during this time of transition into the new covenant, it was God showing and establishing His church. But listen, who was it that required a sign? It was the Jews. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. And so by God giving to Jerusalem these signs, He was actually being very gracious to the people that had rejected Him. Amen? He had given them the sign. The Lord has come. The Messiah has come. And so he, he was being very gracious to them in, in allowing this to happen. And, and we see here that um, this was such a unique period of time that in verse 15, that even the shadow of Peter. <laughs> I've never wanted, you know, I've never prayed for anybody's shadow to pass over me. Huh? But that's what they were seeking for. Um, even the shadow, it seems like, could bring healing. This wasn't because of Peter. Right? This was because of the Holy Ghost who was upon Peter. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen that kind of miracle today. It would be pretty cool if I did. As word began to spread of people being healed, in verse 16, the people came by the multitudes from other cities that were round about Jerusalem, bringing the sick with them, those vexed with unclean spirits. And it says, they were healed, every one. Wow. Where's the faith healers of our day that claim they have that gift? Why aren't you healing everyone? I've not seen this, have you? What we're seeing here in the text, uh, why not? Because these were apostolic gifts for this period of time. The peddlers of our day who claim to have this power, amazingly, aren't healing everyone, as we read here, and that's very telling to me. If I had this gift, I'd be running down to the nursing home. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 does mention the gift of healing. But we don't see what's happening in the book of Acts show up anywhere else after the book of Acts. The apostles, as they went off the scene, so did these sign gifts. And I believe it's because we now have a completed word of God. The, the church is firmly established in the world. Remember, the New Testament was still being penned during this time throughout the book of Acts. Um, the church was still being established as it spread throughout the Roman Empire. But the church today is established. We have a completed word of God. God has chosen to cease these gifts. 
I'm not saying miracles don't happen today. They certainly do. Amen? They do. Um, but it's different today. It's not like we find in the book of Acts. Instead, we have the prayer of faith where we look to our great physician. Amen. So let's go back, um, take a look at this parenthetical statement in verses 12 through 14. It says, And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them, and the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. So we see, first of all, at the end of verse 12, they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. I've mentioned this previously, I'm sure, in another chapter, <coughs> in chapter 3. But I want to I revisit a thought here once again. So here they are, they're at Solomon's porch. Remember after that crippled beggar was healed in chapter 3, the crowd was gathering together at Solomon's porch. And this is where Peter and John were arrested for preaching the resurrection of Christ. Um, and so I believe what we can conclude from all of this is that a church in action is fearless. Hey, listen, they're right back to where they got arrested. They're right back to where they were told, don't preach that. And yet here they are, they're gathering right back at Solomon's porch, and, and, and they were fearless in presenting the gospel. It didn't matter what the people were saying. They were going to do what God had called them to do. Now, I'm not saying that we obstinately are defiant to laws, but I am saying this church was right back to where they had a right to assemble. Come on now. They're right back to where they were arrested, and you know this had to annoy the Sadducees. It had to bug them. We told you, we threatened you, we don't preach or teach in the name of Jesus, but this church is not in hiding. Whoop! This church is right back at the epicenter of where the first form of persecution was. And what bugged me about churches closing in America during COVID wasn't so much that a body of believers chose to do so, but what bothered me was that they were letting the government tell them, you got to shut down. Somebody say amen. We have a right to assemble. And it annoyed people. It annoyed the Sadducees. You should have heard some of the comments I got out in the parking lot. We should not allow earthly powers to tell us what we can and can't do. We have a right in this country. We, we have a free right of religious exercise. And we should not back down from that. Preacher, why are you still talking about that? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And the wheat's just being separated from the chaff. This church in Jerusalem, they were told not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus by the powerful governmental council. And yet, where do we find them assembling? Right back at Solomon's porch. Right back at the temple. And what is their message? Salvation through our resurrected Lord. Take that, council. Well, maybe this is only for me. They, they were confident... John 10, verses 23 and 25, or through 25. Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. The works, the signs, the miracles that Jesus did proved he was the Messiah. What Isaiah prophesied would happen. 
And so now here are the apostles at Solomon's porch working the same miracles as Christ. The same signs and wonders were a testament that Christ was God. The religious Jews wanted a plain answer to if Jesus was the Christ or not. Well, the signs are their answer. Amen. The signs are so many people. If if God would just show Himself real, I would believe. Well, you're no different than the uh, ones that wag their heads with Jesus on the cross. Come down from off the cross, and we'll believe you if you're the Son of God. No, they wouldn't. We pointed out several times already. I want you to notice that this church is once again in one accord, in one place. I'm not going to preach that again. I've hammered that throughout this already. But here they are once again in one accord. Never underestimate the power of a body of believers being unified in the Spirit of God. What we find in the book of Acts is once we're unified, it can transform a city, an entire city. And because they were in one accord, they were all assembled together. Amen. It breaks my heart to see how many don't understand the value in gathering faithfully with their local church. They were all gathered together. When this happens with those who know better, it is a manifestation that this body is not fully of one accord. I don't mean when people get sick, amen, stay home. You don't have to spread your sickness and prove your spirituality. I don't mean for those who can't drive at night, right? I understand that. Um, The roads are icy sometimes, amen. Uh, Maybe you take a trip. I get it. I like taking trips. But I'm talking about just staying at home, watching football, over being faithful to the house of God. The reason this bothers me so is because it shows that worldly pleasures are still more important than the things of God. How can we expect God to bless us if we can't get Christianity 101 figured out? According to Hebrews, we're supposed to move on from the first principles of the oracles of God, which means we're to grow up. We're to become those who can eat strong meat. But so many don't even get the first principles down. Not new believers. I'm talking about those saved for years. This church in Jerusalem, they had their act together. They were daily at the temple. How would you like to be in that church? You want us to come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? Peter says, no, I want you here every night. The point is, they were hungry for God's word. They were desirous to serve God. They were zealous. They were bold. And look at the impact they made as a result. There's no telling what God could do here if we all just got serious. In verses 13 and 14 we read, And of the rest, there's no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. There's been a lot of conjecture here on what is meant in verse 13. I haven't arrived at a completely satisfactory answer for myself yet, but there appears to be a contrast in verse 13 between the rest and the people. There seems to be a contrast here between these two groups. And so who are the rest and who are the people? There's a lot of opinions out there, and a lot of them all made sense to me. I'm just going to mention some of the more popular thoughts on this verse. Some suppose that the rest are those who also were at the temple, but they did not join themselves to the church's gatherings perhaps out of fear that Ananias and Sapphira had just gave up the ghost. 
So the thought is at the end of verse 12, the church is gathered at an area of the temple known as Solomon's porch. But in verse 13, others who would have been gathered together on the temple grounds did not join over there at Solomon's porch. But this seems to be contradicted by verse 14, where we read of more people being added to the Lord. So there had to be people coming, right? Over. Um, Some see two different classes of people in verse 13. The more rich and noble might have been identified as the rest, or those who are in positions of authority and influence being called the rest. The common man might have been referred to as the people. Now, the phrase the rest, to kind of help you see there is biblical basis for that thought, is used in Luke 12, 26 as something greater than that which is common. The commentator uh, Albert Barnes stated it this way, the rest would be more excellent or that which is superior uh, in value or importance to something else. And Luke 12, 26 is cited, if ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? The contrast there. So the thought would be how the upper class or even perhaps the different sects like the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians, these different groups, did not want to join themselves with this church, though the common people were magnifying this church uh, for what was taking place. Either they were magnifying the apostles for what was taking place or the church as a whole. But I would say the most common thought is somehow intertwined with the varying opinions is that this speaks of a division between those outside of the church, that there was a hesitancy among the people to join themselves to this church because of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. And so there was a hesitancy by many. Remember in verse 11 that great fear has come upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things, these things being the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And because of this fear, the lost, they were not ready to join themselves to this church. They're not ready. They don't want to align themselves with the teaching of Christ if it means you're going to drop dead. But still the people magnified them. They were respectful of them because of the many signs and wonders which were taking place. People were being healed. You cannot deny that that was taking place. Right? That was part of the reason they didn't punish them further when the crippled guy was healed because everybody was magnifying the Lord and giving glory to God. And so this event, with I'm going somewhere with this, This event with Ananias and Sapphira was a shot fired throughout Jerusalem to indicate that this church was not just a club that you join. This this church in Jerusalem, listen, God's letting them know we're not a bunch of social club people here. This isn't a country club. We're not just gathering at Solomon's Porch because we think it's fun. We're not just up here so we can have fellowship. We're not just up here because the music's good. Am I hitting home to anybody yet? Listen, that's not, no. God is saying, look, what's happening with this group of people, it's serious. And you better take heed, aligning yourself with them. God was clearly at work. God was letting Jerusalem know this is the church of the living God. This church in Jerusalem was so zeroed in. I want you to get this. 
they're so zeroed in on what God wants them to do, the lost don't even want a part of it. Not the apathetic lost, not the indifferent lost. Now, the lost who hated their sin, we're going to see in just a moment, they were added to the Lord. But the lost were looking at this church in Jerusalem saying, I, want, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to belong to that place over there. It was not a place for unbelievers. It was not a place for unbelievers. I think one of the greatest mistakes in American Christianity is that somehow the church is for the lost. Our gatherings. It's not. Our gatherings are for the redeemed. I'm hesitant to say something, but if you were here for Sunday school, something was mentioned. I'm just going to bite my tongue on it, but I'll tell you this. What many people call revival is nothing but revival. I'm going to have to leave that there. But here's this church, and God is at work. Jerusalem, here in Jerusalem, this church is zeroed in. The problem with the emergent church today, do you understand what I mean by the emergent church? The, the emergent church today is their church gatherings have become social gatherings where the lost are made to feel welcomed. All right, I'm going to get in the flesh. I can feel it. Or, or maybe it's in the spirit. I don't know. But I, I'll tell you this, this idea that um, we've got to make the lost feel welcomed and then give them a lesson on how they can be a better them is so contrary to Bible Christianity. Amen. And I'm not being ugly. The idea that you find out what the lost like and then bring them into the church and, you know, find out what they like, bring what they like into the church in order that they'll come in and feel welcomed and that they're comfortable, that, that is not what God's designed for the local church is. We are not a club we are not a concert hall. We are not playing games. I'm not. God wants His church pure. God wants unbelievers to understand the importance of church, but we live in a day where even believers can't understand the importance of church. God wants the lost to understand what we do here it's serious business. And I hope you feel that way. The church is not for the lost to come in as they are and leave as they were. But the church is first and foremost the redeemed gathering together. Now, almost every Sunday morning, I'll try to communicate something to the lost because I know they come in. Praise God. But their main purpose in gathering is to help the redeemed. You're supposed to go out and reach the lost. Now, don't take what I'm saying uh, out of context here. Anybody's welcome to attend here. Amen. Amen. I don't even care your persuasion in life. I don't, I, you're welcome to attend here. Um, you're, you're welcome to listen to the preaching of God's Word. Anybody who's genuinely seeking for answers, I'll let them in, no problems. Um, but I'm not going to allow the propagation of false doctrine Amen. or to sow discord among the brethren. That's my job as the pastor. But we have to protect the sanctity of this church body. This is what you are what Jesus Christ bled and died for. Amen. He purchased you as his own. 
1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's your life. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's not forget that the word for church in verse 11, which is who is being referred to at the end of verse 12, this is a called out assembly. Amen? We're called out to be distinct from the world. Called out to be separate from the world. Called unto God to be His people. We are called to show that there is a living God in heaven. And so this church in Jerusalem, they're serious about God. And the people were learning the seriousness of joining themselves to this movement. I don't know if I want to join that group. It looks pretty serious to me. God is letting the lost know, be careful. I don't know if this is just new to everybody, but maybe we're so corrupted in America today we don't understand all this. But this fear of this church, what it did is it kept out those who would only be casual about their walk with God. There was an understanding that it was not a place to join if you're not serious. Can you believe we've had those criticize our church for being a place where you're expected to be involved? Imagine that being a criticism. Last I checked, the Bible says we're members one of another and we're all gifted for that purpose. I'll take that criticism. Amen. What's people's problem? They're they're looking for their ears to be tickled. They're looking to be coddled into feeling good while remaining in their lost or backslidden condition. And so we live in a day when many churches are trying to be established on the doctrine of tolerance. This isn't working for God. We see many Laodicean churches today where Christ has now been forced to the outside and He's standing at the door knocking to come in. The church landscape in America is really a sad picture. So what? We got all these pretty buildings. Where's the mighty move of God? I want you to notice in verse 14 that this church's purity, get this now, this is awesome. This church's purity did not slow them down one bit. Look at what it says. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. This is a great verse because in Christ we're all one, number one, amen? Multitudes of men and women. The, the temple there was, and you've got to understand the way the temple was set up to really kind of get the impact of this statement, that multitudes of men and women were being added to the Lord. At, at the temple you had a place called the Court of the Women. Ladies, you can't go any further than the court of the women. And then you had the inner court. And so, um, and then, of course, you had the court of the Gentiles and all this kind of thing. And, and so what, what does this show us here is that in Christ we're all one, right? We're all welcome to the same table. We're all welcome at the same cross. We're all equal in Christ. Hallelujah. Um, and you've heard it said before, but the, um, the, foot, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so don't believe the lie that Christianity somehow pushes women down. When in reality, true Christianity is liberating. And so we're told, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Neither is there male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And so what I'm saying to you is, the church ought to frighten believers. Listen, there was a time if somebody walked across a parking lot with a hat on, they took it off when they walked through the parking lot. That's a fact. There was a reverence for the house of God. Nobody cares now. I'm picking up cigarette butts there every week. 
It's just a place where the mercy house can come over here and smoke because they can't smoke on their property. Hey, do you guys want to come in and be in church with us? No. Okay, well, just keep using us as an ashtray. Amen. Well, listen, I don't get to preach on Sunday nights much anymore. Amen. This is supposed to be the gathering of the family when y'all are like, yeah, amen, praise God, we're all here. All right. The church ought to frighten believers and it ought to draw in those who hate their sin. We see those who were added to the church are ultimately added to the Lord. What kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to placate to the lost? Or do we want the lost to see a people who love their God and are serious about their church? Amen. Listen, I welcomed visitors this morning. I hope you did. I'm not ugly to anybody that comes in here. I'll put an arm around you, hug you, and let you know I'm glad you're here. But there ought to be a sanctity about our gathering. People need to know we're serious about this. It, it has been my opinion over the last several years that the world is seeking for truth. And they're not finding it in the legalistic church. Right? They get into that, that movement and they think all I do is get beat down. I got to follow man's standards. I got to follow man's list. But they're also not finding it in the hyper grace churches where everything goes and I never am challenged and I never seem to leave convicted and I'm, I'm never stirred. And, I, and so people are seeking for what is real today. And, and one thing I want you to get from this account is that as God was purifying this thing and He dealt with Ananias and Sapphira and He struck fear into the heart of the church, the heart of the city, on that thought of we've got to do everything we can to make people feel comfortable, the people were not comfortable joining themselves. And yet, what does the Bible say? Multitudes of men and women were added. You see, doing the right thing biblically and trying to have a standard and, and, and trying to honor God and magnify Him and, and be pure, it doesn't weaken the church, it strengthens the church. It doesn't push people away, but it draws them in. Those people that are seeking, that have not found it in the legalism, they have not found it in the hyper-grace I pray before they give up, they'll be led to a place where they can experience a healthy blend of God's grace and God's holy requirements. And I pray they'll find a church body here who love the truth, that we are led by God's Word, that we seek for purity, but understand the need for growth at the same time and being welcoming to others. I want to be a church where we can take newborn babes and bring them to maturity. And so I pray we'd be this kind of church in action. Let's pray.